Our next text, the uh, second uh, scripture reading, is a continuation of this reading uh, that we had in the first reading from Corinthians. Um, It is one of the quintessential texts in which Paul speaks of the theology of the cross. I invite you, if you would like to, in your pew Bible, to turn to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I will be reading from verse 10 through 31. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united with the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except... uh, Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, I I did baptize also the household of uh, Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debaters of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand demand a sign, and Greeks desire wisdom, But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, sisters and brothers. Not many of you were wise by the world's standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low 
and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce to nothing the things that are. So that no one might boast in the presence of God. God is the source of your life in Jesus Christ who became for us the wisdom of God and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. In 2016 and 17, uh, some folk from my former church, the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., the homeless ministry, that church in particular, um, decided to gather what we uh, called, for lack of a better word, a jobs club for the homeless. Um, the leader of the uh, homeless ministry in, in that church, whose name is Doug, announced that uh, we would be uh, uh, meeting on every other Tuesday to talk about jobs, uh, where they are, how we could find them, uh, this, that, or the other. We had a variety of people from that ministry who joined us in the effort. Tyler, a computer whiz, uh, helped us uh, with uh, computer issues that any of the homeless might have. We had, we had a person named David that helped the homeless with resumes. Um, we had um, another uh, a member of the church named Phil, who was an activist lawyer who helped the homeless with legal issues. Uh, but together, more important than anything, we got to know uh, John and Johnny and Jose and a wonderful woman whose name is pronounced finally free. It's not spelled that way, but that's the way it's pronounced. Um, together we uh, met over and over and uh, we did individual meetings with them. We got to know people's passions, people's, people's angers, people's um, aspirations for what they wanted to do, uh, jobs that might be available for them. And we had some success. Um, one got a job with a concrete company, another got a job uh, installing windows, and yet another, finally free, started a co-op teaching homeless women to make jewelry. But more than anything, we got to know one another. <clears throat> and for me, that was critical. For me, it was, it, it was critical to get a deep, deep understanding of what it's like to be homeless. To what it's like to uh, try to gather all the services that uh, <clears throat> go to serve the homeless around the city. And they are, they are, they are spread out throughout the city. What it's like to uh, keep oneself fed. What it's like to sleep on the street at night or to sleep in a shelter. What we learned, I think, was um, what uh, liberation theologians call the epistemological privilege of knowledge of the poor. Privileging the knowledge of the poor, for me, challenged and disrupt, disrupted my own presumed privileged knowledge. It's exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage, don't you know? The wisdom of the down and out 
choosing the foolishness of the world to confound uh, the powerful. That's what he's talking about. The theology of the cross is privileging the knowledge of the poor that challenges and disrupts the presumed knowledge of the privileged. It's a powerful notion. It comes from third world theologians and it's making its way in this country. And what that suggests to me, it makes all the difference in the world where we put our bodies, where we put ourselves, where we plant ourselves. In our varied ministries, this kind of thing happens. Um, when we plant ourselves in the ministry that will happen, happen tomorrow or in any of the ministries, the tutoring ministry or this, that, and the other, uh, we, are, we are in a very privileged spot to learn what's actually going on in the trenches. To learn what's going on in the trenches and privileging that knowledge that will disrupt our presumed knowledge of who we are and, and what we think counts our privileged knowledge. Now, that's not to say that we absolutize knowledge of the poor and the outcast. It's not to say that we don't absolutize any knowledge anywhere. We shouldn't do that. But we tend to do that. We tend to uh, privilege the knowledge of the, uh, of the elite. We tend to privilege the knowledge that, we, that, 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 that sustains the status quo. And in fact, the knowledge that comes from the poor and the outcast can disrupt that knowledge. It can disrupt who we are and what counts in our lives in a good, positive way. It can be redemptive. It can be transformative. And of course, that's what Dr. Martin Luther King was about. I'm reminded of the letter from the Birmingham jail. His, his words, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. They're eloquent words, and they can mean... Um, they, 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 they can mean a lot to a lot of, in a lot of different circumstances, but let's put them in their context because they were meant to be disruptive words. They were meant to be transformative words. They were addressed to white clergy that were telling him that his work was unwise and untimely. So in essence, he was saying, injustice anywhere that you put up with, injustice anywhere that you ignore is a threat to justice everywhere, for you, for us. In other words, injustice anywhere is, is, is going to bite all of us. It is. And so the words are disruptive. They're powerful because they're disruptive of our presumed sense of who we are. They can dismantle our world and reconstruct our world in a way that includes all of God's children, the beloved community that, that, that King talked so powerfully about and envisioned in his life that we seek to create here in this community. You know, Paul's conversion experience is, 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 is often uh, not made much of. Uh, we remember the Damascus Road experience of Paul, a persecutor of Christians, one who himself acknowledged that he was the privileged of his day, and yet he had an encounter with the crucified and resurrected Jesus, who said to him, why are you persecuting me? When in fact, Paul was persecuting Christians. It was a wake-up call for Paul. It was a disruptive wake-up call 
because he realized that in persecuting Christians, he was in fact persecuting and re-crucifying Jesus. After that experience, he went and spent three years, three years in the Arabian desert. I've often wondered what happened during those three years. I don't think he was writing a systematic theology. I think it was a consciousness rising event for him. I think it was an event in which he was trying to come to terms with a crucified Messiah. I think it was a time when he was trying to come to terms with the fact that his world had been disrupted and challenged. I think he was, I think he was trying to, to come to terms with the fact that he had, he had, he had um, acquired what W.E.B. Du Bois called a dual consciousness or something akin to a dual consciousness which is consciousness of the crucified in our midst in the light of our privilege. Consciousness um, that, after all, he would have learned from his own Lord, who stood with the crucified in his midst and was crucified because of it. You see... I don't think we're called to be followers of Jesus because he was simply a good moral example. Or in the words of Reinhold Niebuhr, we're not called to follow Jesus because he was a very, very, very good person. I think we're called to follow Jesus because he disrupts our world. We're called to follow Jesus because of who he stood with. We're called to follow Jesus because he can be a transformative power in our world. That's why we call Jesus God. Because God, after all, is the God of the Exodus. The one who saw saw enslaved people, heard their cry, and felt it deeply in God's self. That's who Jesus was. It's a disruptive presence in our midst. That's why that's why I think we're called to follow Jesus. It's a, it's, it's, it's a consciousness rising um, and, and, and a bringing about of a dual vision of, of the world as it is and the world as it should be and a movement between those two realities. And you know, I, I don't think Martin Luther King's um, letter from a Birmingham jail has become a masterpiece simply because it is a wonderful literary piece or because of his eloquence. It is all of that. But it is a powerful, powerful piece because it is disruptive. He said, injustice anywhere, injustice that we are prone to overlook or put up with is a threat to justice everywhere. It's going to bite us. It's going to bite us. That's what he's saying. Um, And it's important to me to remember that that letter was written from a Birmingham jail, and that should be a clue to us as to where we will get wisdom in this world, a world of mass incarceration of black people, a world of homelessness, a world of gun violence, the likes of which I have never seen. We live in a violent world and we are called to be a different kind of a people. 
We're, kind, we're called to be a people of mutuality who care, especially for the least well-off, who seek the wisdom of the least well-off, that this will disrupt our wisdom and be a transformative, liberating, redeeming part of our lives as a community of faith to create the beloved community in our midst. Paul's conversion was so complete that he could say, I have been crucified with Christ. I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And some interpreters say that what he means by that is, is I have so identified with the vanquished, the crucified of my world, that I am one with them. And I have, it has disrupted my privilege to the point that I see life differently. I see life from the privileged standpoint of the poor, the outcast the crucified in our midst, in order that God's resurrection power can work in our midst to create that beloved community in our world. In just a few minutes, we will be moving from here and out into the streets. I know you've done this before. I've never done this with you, so uh, it's going to take a little bit to get us all out there. We want to move out and and collect ourselves between the parking lot and the the corner, and there, in a very solemn way, Uh, we will hear the names read of those who have died by gun violence in the last year. Each one of them a wound on us and our city. Each one of them perhaps a source of wisdom that can disrupt us, enable us to create a different kind of world a different kind of world in which all are safe, all can live in peace, all can, all can live with justice and be called beloved children of God, each of us. That's the design behind it. I'm reminded here that in uh, the, uh, the court region of Washington, D.C., there used to be this huge statue of melted handguns. It was part of a buyback program in Washington, D.C., and you may remember that uh, the larger policy that Washington, D.C. had uh, during a time several years ago was uh, a ban of handguns that the Supreme Court, in their infinite wisdom, overturned as unconstitutional. Hmm. The statue was molded in the shape of a plowshare, a 16-foot plowshare. It's gigantic. It comes from Isaiah's vision that soars into plowshares, a powerful vision for us today as we ponder what we're doing not only here today, but as we ponder what we seek to create here as our, as, 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 as our wisdom, our presumed wisdom is disrupted by, by, by the um, wisdom that comes from the wounds of our world and the wounds in our own lives that God is seeking to redeem and resurrect. You know, Paul has a similar vision to Isaiah. You may remember it. When Paul says in the book of Romans, who can separate us from the love of God? Can famine or persecution or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. 
for nothing in life or in death, nor height nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things can come, to come can separate us from the love of God, which we know in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, my friends, is crucified wisdom. That is a wisdom that can disrupt who we are, where we are, and create for each of us the beloved community which Jesus has in mind for all of us. Amen.